that went live. Good morning, everybody. My name is Matt, and I am a guest speaker here, but also the worship leader at Genesis. And uh, we're happy that you're here with us this morning. Uh, glad to see all of you here as well. Good morning, friend. <laughs> So this message that I'm preaching this morning, this is the third in the series of Words of God, and uh, the idea behind this series is uh, common words that we use, words that in some cases even have a negative connotation, um, but they are words that bring life, and they contain a little piece of God's character. Now this, this um, word this morning, I think this one is especially... Uh, meaningful to me. It's something that I'm really passionate about in my life. Um, This topic, this whole topic in general, I am very passionate about. Um, And I'm really excited to bring it to you. Uh, And I believe that this is really a really important thing for a lot of people to hear. Uh, Words that bring life, this one especially, um, I think is important as especially in the time that we live in, I think there's so much that um, brings us down and, and does not bring life to us and our thought life. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really excited about this morning. So before we get to what the word is, uh, we have a question. And this is an engagement question. So those of you who are listening on the live stream, thank you for joining us. Um, it's going to go up on the screen. The question is, what do you feel most hopeless about? Pretty, pretty simple question, but I think it probably can trigger some emotions. Uh, do you feel hopeless about something? And maybe it's something that is personal. You can share it. Uh, my number is on the screen as well. Uh, so you can text to 720-937-0850, and uh, I will get the text, or hopefully I will. Sometimes I have not in the past. So hopefully all the texts will come through. All right. So if you uh, want to share something that you feel hopeless about, and it doesn't have to be necessarily something personal, it could be the state of the world, it could be COVID, it could be uh, politics, it could be, but it also could be something that's a little more personal and close to home. So go ahead and send it to my number, text it to me. Also, uh, if you're here, you can say something uh, on the microphone, Nina has the microphone. Uh, I'm generally a pretty optimistic person, so I don't consider myself as somebody who gets hopeless about things that other people might, but I definitely have a hopelessness about pain and suffering and the fact that I will face it. Um, and that I have faced it, and that inevitably I will face more. And it's hopeless because it's just, it's going to happen. Interesting. Okay. All right. No text messages so far. She's texting us. All right. Let me make sure I got the right number on the screen. Okay. Okay. And this is one of those things, a couple weeks ago when we did this, I got a whole bunch of text messages while we were driving home. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm actually just going to power cycle my phone, make sure I get the text messages again. Because I don't know what it is, something strange. Maybe it's my phone is on the Wi-Fi or something. 
Uh, it's the devil, of course. It's the devil. <laughs> All right, someone back there feels hopeless about the devil in technology, and I think that probably <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> uh, we've had some technology issues over the past few weeks here as well. So, uh, and and we, you can also share with us on Facebook. Um, if, if you're watching on Facebook, are we on Facebook? I believe we are, yes. We okay, are. okay. So let me know if something pops up on Facebook. You can put it into the chat on Facebook. All right, here we go. We're back in. Well, this, I'll tell you that I think this hopelessness question is kind of a scary yeah. thing to say out anything out loud, <laughs> you know, about yeah. it. Even though you may really feel some things, you don't want to feel hopeless. It's maybe even as a believer, I don't want to feel hopeless. That song we sang in the very beginning, he's, he can do all these things and break through all these things. And I've seen him break through all these things. But I'll tell you, this COVID mess has been pretty disheartening. And to see people around us, so many people getting sick and even dying has, has been pretty disheartening. Yeah. It does feel a little hopeless sometimes. Okay. All right, so we have um, a couple of text messages came in. Senseless gun violence. Feel hopeless about violence in our in our society. Um, so that's a good one. Thanks, Pam. And uh, Jeff, thanks. We can always count on Jeff. Uh, trying to get through COVID and now medical issues um, that I have right now, I feel hopeless because I do not see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's very, thanks for sharing that, Jeff. All right. Anything else? Anything else? You know, I think there's a lot of families and people like Jeff's situation, maybe they're different. I know another family right now who are dealing with a very, very difficult illness, insidious, that they have no answers for, and it just goes on and on and on. How, how do you not feel hopeless in the midst of day after day after day after day? I can understand where Jeff's coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, did you send one? I didn't get one from you. Okay. It's okay. It's a, and if you think of it later, we'll, we, we can come back. Okay. So thanks for sharing those. Um, now, the reason that I'm asking that question, because it is, it is kind of a dark question, um, but I think that we have this tendency to get stuck in hopelessness. Um, when, when things don't seem to be getting better, uh, we have this, this tendency to get stuck and our minds get stuck. So today the word, uh, the word of God, the words of God that we're going to focus on today, it's called gratitude. Okay, so you're familiar with that, and everybody knows you should have gratitude, right? We all know you should be grateful, you should be thankful. And when I, when I was looking through the Bible to look for things, uh, verses that reference gratitude, I might have gotten another text message. I did. All right, go ahead and share these. The prominence of cancer in so many lives, that's another one, does feel hopeless. And I think that also, like, we we do prayer requests, and we pray every week, and it feels like every week it's overwhelming, uh, and it does feel hopeless. Uh, And another one here... 
our inability to reach everyone with God's message. And, and I think that's, for me, I, that's actually kind of a personal one. Thanks for sharing that. Um, that's actually a personal one because I, sometimes I get frustrated that we don't have more people here uh, and that we don't reach more people and, uh, with, with what I call the good news. Um, but the message of Christ, yeah, that's a great one. Okay, so gratitude is the word of the day. And the reason that I think this word is so important is because it, it is really powerful in your lives. Now, when I was looking through the Bible to find verses that reference gratitude, because I wanted to build this case for why is this word so important, and I might have gotten another text message here. Oh, I got a message on... on all right. Awesome, Devin. <laughs> okay, so if Devin's just tuning in, glad that you're tuning in. All right, so gratitude. Looking through the Bible, here's what I found. Verses uh, in the New Testament. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Be thankful in all circumstances. This is in Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ. Be thankful in all circumstances. Colossians 2.6, so then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So, in the New Testament, repeatedly, and a lot of this is Paul's writing, repeatedly we're told to be thankful, be grateful, be thankful, live with gratitude, live with thankfulness. Um, Now, it doesn't really say why necessarily. So let's take a look at some of the the verses from the Old Testament. And uh, when it comes to the Old Testament, very similar. Do not be anxious about, oops, I need to change my slide. (laughs) First Chronicles 16, 34. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving devotion endures forever. Give thanks. Psalms 106, 1. Hallelujah. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving devotion endures forever. There might be an echo in here. Well, it's, it's one of the things uh, David wrote a lot of the Psalms, and uh, he quoted a lot of previous uh, writings, and so this is probably one of those things, or possibly David quoted in, in, in Chronicles, and also the same Psalm shows up in the book of Psalms. Psalms thirty five eighteen, I will give uh, I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among mighty people. Psalm 95, 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make, make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Now, all of these verses, whether Old Testament or whether New Testament, it's a command, right? It's a command to be thankful, to be grateful, to, to give thanks to God, to sing praises, to be thankful. It's a command. And I, I found it interesting um, we were talking, uh, if, you, if you missed any of my previous uh, weeks, the last two weeks, uh, I talked about, uh, last week I talked about humility, which is a really fun topic, and I know humility has kind of a negative connotation, but it's, I don't know, I think it's a really powerful word, I think it's a really powerful thing, and I encourage you to go back, listen to that one. I also talked about generosity, and 
those things, we could also look back in the Bible and see them as commands, right? But we don't live under commands. We live under grace. We live under the relationship that we have with God through grace. And so when something comes across as a command to me, I think, oh, maybe that's not really relevant anymore, right? But as I talked about in my previous weeks, whenever God has put forth a commandment, there is a reason for it. He doesn't do that for his good. He does that for our good. So anything that comes across in the Bible as a commandment, there's a principle, there's a, there's, there's a reason behind that because God knows us and he knows what we need. And so when I was looking through this, I started to think, okay, if it's a commandment, then it's important, right? And I want to take a look at what gratitude is. There are three different things that I think, three different forms that gratitude takes in our life. Number one, gratitude the emotion. Number two, gratitude the choice. Number three, gratitude the mindset. And I want to give examples of these because I, I think you will probably be able to relate and, and, and see this in your own life. Gratitude, gratitude the emotion. Um, earlier this, uh, well, last year now, <laughs> I got a promotion, and it was unexpected. I didn't know that I was going to be getting a promotion. In fact, it was a year where uh, if the people that were in charge of giving promotions didn't want to give a promotion, they could have found some reasons, right? It's COVID. Things were kind of crazy, uh, and helter-skelter uh, at work especially. A lot of things changed. A lot of things happened throughout that year, um, and when I received a promotion, I felt instant, immediate emotion of gratitude. It, was, it wasn't something that I had to, to like dig into. It was just, that was the immediate response. It was an emotional response. I felt grateful because I knew that my manager had fought for me. I knew that my manager had, had really taken my side and, and, and worked for this to get me a promotion. Um, and it's not that I didn't deserve a promotion. It's that I, it could very, I could very easily have gone another year without a promotion. And um, so I, I felt an emotion of gratitude. I felt thankfulness. Uh, I felt a relief. Um, and so it was, it was all triggered by, by something that happened, right? So that's, to me, that's the easy one. Gratitude when you almost can't help it. Uh, I think we feel this a lot of times just Something happens really good, and immediately you feel an emotion of gratitude. The next one is gratitude the choice. Now, this one is much harder, um, and I'm going to give another example here. I've, over the last um, couple of years, how do I, <laughs> I've, been, I've been saving money. I've been driving my son's car because he can't drive yet, uh, and I've been saving money to buy another car. And some of that money, I, on, a, on, a, on a thing I read, I, I figured out um, how to buy cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency is the future and it's gonna, you can make money by buying into cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency will grow and this is a way that you can grow your money quickly. Um, and then I figured if I'm saving money, I can put some of that money into cryptocurrency, buy cryptocurrency, and it's going to make my money grow faster, and I can buy my new car faster. Well, 
That didn't work out. Okay, so I bought into cryptocurrency uh, sometime uh, probably late October, and I, d it wasn't a, I, I didn't put my life savings into cryptocurrency, in case anybody's wondering. I put a little bit of money into cryptocurrency thinking, okay, this will, this will multiply, this will double, this will, and it'll make it easier, and I'll be able to get my new car. Uh, since the time, almost, almost exactly since the time I bought into cryptocurrency, it has had a steady decline um, and I lost about almost 40% of the money that I put into cryptocurrency between that then and now. And my mind was just, I was, I was frustrated, right? Angry at times, frustrated. And it was very tempting for me to just say everything went, everything went wrong. But what I did choose is I chose to say I didn't lose more, right? And I had to choose to be positive. I took my money out of cryptocurrency. I transferred it back to my bank account. And rather than stew in that, I was thankful that I still had money to transfer back. Because cryptocurrency, it's, um, it's theoretical, right? So it could, it could theoretically go to zero dollars. I could have lost everything. Um, and I chose to be grateful that I had some left, that I didn't lose everything. Um, and that was a, it was a decision that I made because I could have gotten really negative about that. Okay, the next one, the mindset of gratitude. And this one is something that actually takes work and practice. Um, when COVID hit, uh, for those of you that know me well, uh, I, was, I was formerly a, a high school math teacher and I took a new job uh, working for Colorado's state pension. And my job was fantastic. I, I was teaching people about retirement. It was really rewarding. And I got to travel all over the state of Colorado and meet people and go to their place of employment. It was a really fun time. It was adventurous. And about, yeah, about two years after I got that job, COVID happened. And you can imagine how that changed my job, right? So not traveling anymore at all. I have to learn a whole new skill set. I'm doing webinars. I do about six to 10 webinars a week. Um, and that was a very, very steep learning curve. And I'm sitting at home in my office at home and I don't go anywhere. I don't travel. I don't get to see people. Uh, even on the webinars, I don't really get to see people's faces because I'm just talking to my screen and they can't, I can't see their faces and they don't talk back to me, they just listen. And so this has been a huge change, and it has been a very, very difficult change. And I would, I would say that something in my life, that job that I thought was the perfect job, I loved it. Um, it changed very dramatically into something that was just work for me, and something that was not as rewarding, that I did not feel as fulfilled by. And it took me a very long time to get over that. I, I have to admit that I was not very good at, at transitioning, at rolling with the punches. Something that I would typically take pride in, 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 in being able to adapt and change and have a good attitude, I did not. I was not able to do that. It took me a full year, maybe even a little bit longer under COVID, to get myself to a place where I could be thankful for the job that I had, for the income that I had, for the stability that I had, and the ability to still do good and help people. 
And when I was able to get to that point, once I was able to get to that point and choose that mindset, things in my job started to go much, much better, and I am in a much better place now. But it took a lot of work. So that mindset of gratitude is something you have to focus on and work towards. Now, the truth about all of these things, all of these different parts of gratitude or different types of gratitude, is they all start with positive emotions attached to your thought life. And so I want to talk about what a thought is. And this is the part where I get a little geeky. I I nerd out on brain science. And so I want to talk to you about something I'm passionate about that has a huge part of gratitude. So what is a thought? So a thought is a connection between two or more neurons through a network of neural synapses. Okay, so in your brain, think of this like pathways in your brain, um, and a neural synapse, what is a neural synapse? Think of that like a train station. And you go into that train station, and the trains go out, and they go to all different other train stations, right? And each neural synapse is another train station. A neuron is something in your brain that communicates. It's a nerve cell that's a communication center a control center. And so when I'm, I'm doing this with my hand, all the synapses in my brain are connecting neurons and the thoughts are going back and forth and my hand is going back and forth. Right? <laughs> and all of this is happening because of stuff that's firing in my brain. Neurons communicating through pathways and the junction of each pathway that takes you from this neuron to that neuron to that neuron to that one, that's called a synapse, right? And so it's like the connection piece or the, the train station that, that directs all of these different thoughts. Now, you have in your brain 100 billion, 100 billion neurons. Stop and think about that for a second. 100 billion centers that control thought. And all of those are connected by neural pathways right? Your neural pathways in your brain connect all of these neurons, and each neuron connects through a hub, which is called that neural synapse, right? It's the train station. (laughs) No, for real, um, your brain operates incredibly efficiently um, on less than one-tenth of the power that it takes to run the world's largest, or or even a, a common computer, like a laptop or something like that. So your brain operates on one-tenth of the power, but it can do hundreds of millions times more actions per minute. In fact, your brain is, is operating uh, 400 billion actions per second. 400 billion actions. If your brain is operating at a very high level, if you're like in the middle of something that's intense, uh, up to a trillion actions per second. There are 3,600 seconds per hour. Your brain is constantly firing. It is incredibly powerful. But the reason that this is important, every thought that you have travels from one neuron to another neuron. It's just a connection between two neurons, and it's actually electricity. Electricity traveling this pathway. Now, the pathways are a physical structure in your brain, right? So every time you have a thought, it is actually traveling on a physical structure in your brain, but the thought itself is 
a physical structure. You can create a physical structure in your brain by having a new thought. And those of you who didn't know that, right now your brain is creating a physical structure. Okay, that's kind of interesting. Because um, oftentimes we just think of a thought as something that just bounces around in your head, right? And, and, uh, but it's actually a physical structure. Uh, typically, every thought that travels has an emotion that is attached to it. So if you, it's very difficult or uncommon to have an emotion or have a thought that doesn't have any emotion, right? So if you think, I'm listening to Matt, and Matt's voice is annoying, that's a negative emotion. Or if you say, Matt's voice is very soothing, that's a positive emotion, right? Or I think it's very, very, very uncommon to have a thought that does not have any emotion tied to it. So this process is actually really important. The power of your thoughts is really what determines almost every outcome in your life. So I want to walk through what happens each time that you have a thought. Every thought either travels on an existing neural pathway, right? So you have 100 billion control centers in your brain, and, and they're all connected by pathways. So there's more pathways. It either travels on an existing neural pathway, or it creates a brand new neural pathway. Every night when you're sleeping, your body creates billions, billions and billions and billions of strands of raw DNA that it uses to create new neural pathways. That's, that's fascinating to me. The next piece here is every time that a thought travels on a neural pathway, it takes that raw DNA and it either makes the pathway stronger or um, it, and it becomes thicker and easier to use. So things that we do all the time, texting, driving your car, um, all of those things when, you're, when, you're, when your mind tells your body to press the brake in your car, you've done that thousands and thousands of times, and so that neural pathway is incredibly strong, and it, it's incredibly efficient. Now, the neural pathway contains the associated emotion. So when thought is traveling that pathway, there is an emotion with that, right? For me, when I have to hit the brakes and I'm driving... That has a negative emotion. I don't want to hit the brakes. I want to get there, and Lisa knows this. Um, uh, so anyway, there is an emotion that is attached to that neural pathway. Now, if this is all getting too nerdy for you, that's okay. I get excited about this. I don't know if everybody else does. I'll bring it back. Just give me a second. <laughs> so the neural pathway contains the associated emotion, and every thought that travels is colored by that emotion. So this has huge implications. When you're just having a thought, travels that neural pathway, but the more strongly that that thought is in your mind, the more emotion that is associated with that thought, the more DNA your body commits to that neural pathway, and it creates a stronger, larger... It's basically like creating a superhighway so that those thoughts fly back and forth on that pathway, right? Now keep in mind there are emotions attached to each pathway. So I want to take a second and talk about the difference between your brain and your mind. Two different things. And your brain is the physical structure. It's all those things I was just describing. It's the neurons, the neural synapses, the neural pathways. Your brain is made up of 
billions and billions of those things. I mean, they're microscopically small, and they're constantly firing. Even when you're sleeping, billions and billions per second, hundreds of billions of actions per second. That's your brain. Your mind operates above your brain. It's your consciousness. And your mind is able to control your brain. So your, bra- your mind operates, uh, you can see kind of in this picture, the brain is in there and it's all the, it's all the you know, electricity firing, right? And when they can actually do imaging of your brain and they can see this happening. And so this is what your physical structure of your brain is in here. Now your mind exists out here. Your mind is influenced by other people, you know, your thoughts, and also in, in influenced, I believe, by your spirit. And your spirit and your mind, in connection with what we would call your heart, although that's not a scientific thing, right? Your heart doesn't, doesn't control your mind. But kind of what are your passions? What are, your, what, are your, um, what are the things that trigger you? What are the things that uh, bring you peace, joy, love? All of those things are your mind, right? It's, it's, it's what's operating outside of your brain, It's your consciousness. Now, the reason that that's important is because we have this idea that I did this thing or this is how this happened, so it's because of my brain, right? If you're not athletic, you just think, oh, that's just, I was born with DNA that's not athletic. My brain doesn't control my limbs, right? (laughs) And, but your mind actually is above your brain and can control what your brain does. And that's really important. Really, really important. And we know about this because um, sometimes we do or say something and then immediately there's this little voice in the back of your head that goes, that wasn't a good idea or that wasn't the right thing to say or, oh man. Um, or maybe something is happening and you, you have something in, in your mind that tells your brain, this isn't the way that this should happen right? And so you have, maybe it's part of your conscience uh, that tells your brain, this isn't right, even though this is the way your brain reacted naturally. So the process of your brain working, uh, to me, is, is, this is just glorious and beautiful, and it's, it's, scientists can't even really explain how it works, um, it's far more complex than any com- computer that exists on the planet right now. There's even one computer that has uh, 24 processors with thousands of, of contact points. It's the most complicated computer in, in the universe, and it's still not even close to what the brain does. And it operates on, it takes like, <laughs> like thousands of times more power to run that computer than our brain. So... Your brain, how it works, um, the incredible power of your brain. So here's the process, or these are things that happen in your brain. Neural genesis. We love that word genesis, right? What does it mean? Beginning, right? It's, it's a beginning. It's a new start. Oftentimes we think of a genesis as a rebirth of something or a birth of something. Neural genesis. This is that process that I was talking about where your body creates raw DNA and it uses that unscripted DNA to create new things in your brain. It can create new neurons, it can create new synapses, it can create new neural pathways. 
And the primary thing that it does is it creates new neural pathways. So that neurogenesis, uh, and think of it as something new, right? So we have all these pathways that we've used for most of our life, but we can also create new pathways at any time. Neuroplasticity. This is um, a word that is new. It's, it's probably about 20 years old, because before 20 years ago, before the, the turn of the millennium, uh, we didn't believe that your brain could change. We thought your brain was a physical structure that was concrete, especially after age 23. Uh, there's a lot of uh, talk in science about how your brain is forming uh, and determining, but once you get to age 23, your brain becomes concrete, and you have the brain that you have, and you can't change it. And neuroplasticity is the concept that you can use your mind to change how your brain functions. And there, this isn't just for people who, like you or me, uh, who are trying to change the way that they think, but they, they found with traumatic brain injuries, which by the way, I had a very traumatic brain injury. I was unconscious for three days, and it took me years to even remember the weak time period uh, during which the brain injury happened. And so I, that happened. And, and, and I remember at the time thinking, I can't remember things, my brain is slow, I, and, I, and I didn't think that I would ever be able to recover from that. But because of neuroplasticity, I was able to exercise my mind, continue to do things that were challenging for my mind, and rebuild my brain to what I believe is stronger than it was at the time of that brain injury. Neuroplasticity allows you to repair your brain, but it also allows you to re-script your brain because you can change the pathways and how they fire. Synaptic modification. So this is where neuroplasticity, you take these synapses and you're, you have this pathway, right, that you're used to using, right? When I... <laughs> When I think of uh, Microsoft products, I have negative, I have negative thoughts about Microsoft products. I created this presentation on a PowerPoint, and Lisa can hear me from the office saying, "I hate Microsoft because <laughs> I'm trying to make changes and it does things the way it wants to." And I have pathways, right? So when I think of Microsoft products on my computer, that's a, that has a negative emotion attached to it. But I can modify that. I can change the path that it takes uh, through synaptic modification. And then there is something called myelination. Now, myelination, there is actually a chemical in your brain that coats neural pathways that you use a lot. And so when you're using a neural pathway repeated times over and over and over and you use that pathway, it becomes very strong and eventually your brain starts to coat that with something that is protective so that that neural pathway is essentially, it's a superhighway, right? And, and, and it, this happens a lot of times in teenagers is when, when myelination starts. Uh, so the f- habits that you form as a teenager, those are the habits that kind of tend to stick with you for your life because they become solidified. And that's why your brain at age 23 or, or somewhere around there, your brain becomes what a lot of people would consider concrete, more concrete thoughts. Um, also helps explain why teenagers have chaotic thought life. Okay, so myelination, the process of coding those neural pathways to make them 
uh, more solid and, and harder to undo, I guess I would say. All right. So the tale of two trees. Now this is, this is something that blew my mind. I found this out through someone, uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf. I was, when I first married Lisa, uh, Nina introduced me to Dr. Caroline Leaf, and I was fascinated by the research that Dr. Caroline Leaf put out there. What you see on, on your left is a healthy thought life tree, right? What you see on your right, that is a negative thought tree. And you can see that there are negative emotions, and when you have negative emotions, the cell pathways, they still exist, but they start to wither. And the emotion that is attached to that is negative. And you keep traveling that neural pathway, and every time that you travel that neural pathway, doesn't matter where the thought came from, if it goes through that neural pathway, it becomes negative. That emotion becomes negative. And when you get to the place where your thoughts are toxic, they are traveling through the same neural pathway. And what you see, the big structure there on the screen, that is actually a synaptic, um, or it's a neural synapse, right? It's the, it's the junction. It's where the, the thoughts are coming in. So you can see thoughts are coming in from different places and going out to different places, but every thought that interacts with that junction becomes negative, regardless of where the thought came from. How many of you feel like you know this already? You have, a, you have some junctions in your brain that are, are, are highly negative. Whereas a junction that is positive can take a negative thought or something that is negative that someone said to you and it can turn it positive because the emotion that exists in that neural pathway is a positive emotion. So healthy, positive thoughts create healthy, positive pathways. Negative and toxic thoughts create unhealthy neural pathways. So for me, this, was, this is... Um, I went through some difficult times uh, teaching. I, I lost a job teaching, and I loved, loved the school, loved the kids, loved the job. And I lost that job. Um, it was in my third year, and the, the department chair did not renew my contract. And it, the way it works in teaching is if you get past three years, then essentially you have tenure. And so this particular department chair never really renewed anybody because that way they could be in control of, the, of that department. Um, and so I got to the third year, and I was a little bit blindsided by it and devastated, frankly. I, I was... I was devastated. Um, I went and got another teaching job at a, at a really high-end private school. And so for me, it was like, uh, okay, they rejected me, but I got this job over here at this much better, nicer private school. And I worked at that school for eight years. And there wasn't a single year at that school that I didn't that I wasn't terrified that I was going to get fired. There wasn't a single time that I thought my job was safe and secure because I had a very toxic thought pattern around my job, my ability to do my job, and my value as a teacher. And so I went through eight years of feeling like I wasn't good enough because of that negative experience. That negative experience put such an impression on that neural pathway 
That every time I thought about my ability to teach and my skill as a teacher and my value and my worth in that position, I did not have any faith in myself. I was certain I was going to be fired, especially that first year. Every week, I just, I'm going to get fired. I knew I was going to get fired. End of the year, I was like, they're just not going to renew my contract for next year. And they did for eight years. And at the end of that, even after eight years and I left voluntarily, I decided to leave. I still didn't feel like I was good enough because I was still allowing my thoughts to travel on the same neural pathway. I also, at this, during the same eight-year period of time, I went through a divorce that was incredibly traumatic for me. Um, I, didn't, I didn't choose that divorce. It was something that... Um, was also devastating to me. And I went through uh, a year of very intense depression. And then I married Lisa. <laughs> and Lisa was the, uh, the beneficiary of all of that toxicity in my mind, in my life, because of what had happened. I was depressed because of the loss of my family and my marriage. I did not trust people. I did not trust relationships. And so Lisa came into a situation in my life where that toxic, that toxic pathway, I think it was quite a few toxic pathways, uh, created jealousy. All right? I was very jealous when uh, I first met Lisa. Uh, and I did not believe that she would stick with me. I didn't believe that she would, um, I, in my mind, I knew that she would get sick of me. She would get bored of my marriage, uh, being married to me, that she would eventually get sick of me and move on. I was convinced of it for years into our marriage. Uh, and I got to a certain point where, you know, I, there was a, a catalyst for this. Something very negative happened um, and very embarrassing for me. And I had to make a decision that I was going to change that Neural pathway. Now, this was after the time that I knew Caroline Leaf. <laughs> I knew of Caroline Leaf. And so I had a lot more tools in my tool bag to be able to say, I'm not going to operate that way anymore. And it was my first experience with intentionally changing my thoughts, intentionally changing the neural pathway that I allowed my thoughts to travel. So, Matthew. S- 7, 17, and 18 says, A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Now, when Jesus was talking about this, he was actually referring to false prophets or false teachers. But I think this, in your brain, you have false teachers. You have neural pathways that are coloring your outlook on life. And I think that Jesus knew that. I think that this principle of false prophets is the same as the principle of false thoughts in your brain. They are leading you astray, and they are causing you to lose your hope. They are causing you, um, they are stealing your life, essentially. So I want to ask you, if you're listening on live stream or those of you here, where do you have toxic thoughts in your life? I've got some examples, resentment, dread, anger, worry, fear, self-pity, 
I gave some examples of my own life where I thought I wasn't good enough because of things that happened to me, what trauma in your life. Where do you have toxic thoughts in your life? Where do you have toxic neural pathways? I'm just going to give some time to think about it. I think we all have them. Because even though I know that I can rewire my brain, even though I know the power of neuroplasticity and that I can change my thoughts, I still have plenty, plenty, plenty of negative thoughts in my life. Uh, so, oops, I am too far. Okay. So I just said a phrase, rewire your brain. And this is something that is a, a very common phrase. In fact, it's a uh, Caroline Leaf, Dr. Caroline Leaf wrote a book called Who Switched Off My Brain? Or maybe she wrote both, How to Switch On Your Brain. Uh, and she uses this term or this phrase very often, rewire your brain. And so here's a quote from Dr. Caroline Leaf. Each time a thought dominates your conscious mind, you can do something with it. You are not a victim of your biology. You can control your reactions. You can control your reactions to events and circumstances. You can choose to keep your thinking the same or change it. Either way, protein synthesis happens. Now, protein synthesis is that process of your body turning uh, raw strands of DNA, unscripted DNA, into physical structures in your brain. So either way, whether you choose to change your thoughts or not, protein synthesis happens. The toxic memory will either ch be changed or be strengthened. They don't just sit and do nothing. If you are continuing to have things travel on that neural pathway, you are either strengthening it or you're making a conscious effort with your mind to change it. We choose switch on your brain. This is from the book Switch on Your Brain from Dr. Caroline Leaf. And that is a really powerful thought to have that I can change the way that my mind thinks. Whether it's because of something that happened to you or whether it's something that's happening around you in the world, you have the ability to choose how you see that. Now, I want to play a video clip um, that is about neuroplasticity and why it is so important and how you can use it. So go ahead and play that, Jeff. As I'm sure many of you know about neuroplasticity, before 15 years ago, we thought our brains were kind of set at adolescence. Now it's very, very clear that we continue to change the shape of our brains with our thoughts. We, by um, the neuroscientists call this neur uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. So if, if I'm coming in as a real complainer, and I'm always like, what could be better now? And why isn't this why? Why they do it that way? You know, we got this nice with this nice deep rut of complaining in our brains, right? We're used to it, it's what we default to. So something's not going right, boom, what's wrong? Who's gonna, who am I gonna blame about this, right? And that's there. So what we do by sitting down with our journal or in the car and think about what we're grateful for, we activate another pathway. Do, 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 over here. Oh, what's good about now? What can I appreciate? Look at that sunset. 
And every time, we just do a little more and we work that. Every time we think that new, down that neural pathway, we get new synapses between those neurons. We start to strengthen the speed and make it more likely. If we get really, really good at gratitude, we start to myelinate that, that area, those neural pathways, those neurons together. And then it's a boom, 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 boom. At some point, that what's good with right now becomes the default, and the what's bad with right now goes in the back. And slowly, those, those connections, those synapses go away if we're not using them as much. Okay, So it's really it's neuroscience that says we can change, even if we feel like we're the most pessimistic person ever. All right, so I really like that guy. Something about him, I just I like listening to him. Uh, said a number of things in there. You you can you can create a new neural pathway, right? And at first it's work. It, at first you have to make a conscious effort. But the more times you do it, the stronger that pathway becomes. Every time that you have that thought and you decide to reroute it a different direction, the stronger that pathway becomes. And so bringing this back to gratitude. Uh, gratitude is my, my word of God for the week. Um, how is this tied to gratitude? I want to come back to gratitude and, and the power of gratitude. So in a study done by Harvard, um, they found that gratitude is one of the most powerful and effective ways to change the chemistry of your brain. A lot of other things that people will tell you to do, um, but gratitude, uh, according to Harvard. In the study... Um, in a positive psychology research study, they found that gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve bad health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. So you have your brain, and your brain is, is operating in whatever way it currently is, right? You have this physical structure and if you don't ever do something consciously to change it, it just continues to operate. It's on autopilot. Now, there's another study from Berkeley, and this one, is, this one I think is a little bit more, more telling. This happened in 2017. Uh, by the way, that study by Harvard just came out in August of 2021, just this last year. Um, another study from 2017, uh, Berkeley University, the positive effects of gratitude. So they took 300... Berkeley students who were seeking therapy, uh, counseling for depression and anxiety. They divided them into three groups. In one group, they had the first hundred people, they had them write a letter of gratitude to a person, to an actual person in their life, every week for one month. The next group, they had them write down thoughts and feelings about negative experiences that they had. And I think I could write for hours on some of those, right? You could write for hours, uh, but as it turns out, you'll see, that's not a good idea. Um, and then the third group, the third group of 100 people, they had to do nothing at all, just continue counseling, can con continue talking to their therapist. And so that in itself is probably something that's, that's helpful. Um, and the results that they found, gratitude unshackles us from toxic emotions, the people that were in the group that wrote the letters were when they, they actually would write a letter and the, they would share the letter with the, the research group, the research team, and when they were reading these, these letters, 
the words that they used in the letters were positive. They were we words, like us together. When they read the letters or the, the notes that people wrote down about bad experiences from the other group, it was all I words. Me, I, right? And so the focus was on me, myself, and they used a lot of negative, toxic words. And so just that, um, gratitude unshackles you from toxic emotions. Gratitude helps even if you don't share it. So they found that the people, they, they, they made it optional. Write the letter, give it to us, we'll read it. You don't have to send it to the person. And they found that only about 30% of the people that wrote the letter actually sent it to the person. But in the survey foundings, it didn't matter because the people who didn't send it still experienced the same positive outcome. Now, the, the, they found that gratitude, the benefits of it take time. And just like the video we just watched, you have to do that a lot of times, right? You have to travel that neural pathway numerous times before it becomes the default before you start to myelinate, right? That chemical that coats it and it becomes the default. Um, and so that what they found is that in the first um, four weeks, they did that for four weeks, and at the end of that, they interviewed those people and they had stronger positive results than the people who did nothing and didn't write anything and dramatically po more positive results than the people who were writing about their negative experience. But what, what happened is they stopped the experiment at four weeks. They stopped the letter writing. But then they brought them back and they interviewed them after 12 weeks. They brought them back four months later and they found that the, the, that the, the changes in those people's lives were even more dramatic at 12 weeks than they were at four weeks. So even though they had stopped writing those letters, a, a, another eight weeks beyond that, they were still... The, the positive results and the positive benefits were still growing. Um, so gratitude has lasting effects on the brain, too. So it's not just do this for four weeks, and then if you stop, eh, nothing good happens after that. It actually continues to replicate and to produce positive things in your life. So now, back to Caroline Leaf. This is a podcast that I was listening to of hers. Um, a couple of things that she said. Your brain is designed for love. And gratitude is a love emotion, so it allows your brain to flourish. Our brain is designed for love, and when we, when we are doing things, when we are operating in love, our brain flourishes. And I want to take this back a little bit to last week and the week before. Your brain flourishes when you're operating in humility. Your brain flourishes when you're operating in generosity. God created your brain to act that way. And so when you're operating that way, that's when your brain is the most powerful. And, and, and gratitude is, according to the research, the most powerful thing that can influence your brain, help your brain to grow. Another quote, when we choose with our minds, remember our mind is above our brain, so we can control our brain with our mind. When we choose with our mind to operate in gratitude, we are developing the brain in the way that it is designed. But when we have negative thoughts, we saw that negative thought tree, right? It withered. It had a lot of, it had like a dark cloud around it. And they actually take pictures of your brain. Caroline Leaf, if you, if you look into her stuff, she has like where they, they take 
images of your brain, and they can actually focus in on that, and they can see there is actually the, the, the branches, those neural pathways are withered, and they are dark, like a dead branch. So I want to wrap up with, with this verse. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 I kind of read the first part of it, verse 6, at the beginning. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, uh, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Here's the result. This is verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind. Your thought life is incredibly important to your happiness. All of those verses that I read at the beginning, they were all commands. It never said anywhere in there, be thankful, and then your mind will grow in positive, happy ways. It didn't say that. It just said be thankful, right? But God has always known from the beginning. A lot of those verses were written 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. But it's still true. And science is just now starting to wrap around it. In the last two decades, we're just now starting to figure out that yes, gratitude will make your mind healthier, stronger, more effective, more able to love, more able to accept love. And it all starts with things that we have been instructed to do for thousands of years. So finally, I just want to wrap up with this. God wants to bring life to you. Um, in talking with a friend uh, this last week, I, I mentioned that I had done a sermon on humility, and they said, ew. <laughs> uh, so f- to that friend, if you're listening, I encourage you to go listen to that sermon because it's, n- it's not you. It brings life. Um, all of the things that we're talking about, God wants you to have life. And oftentimes when you see something that is a command, it feels like you. I have to do that. You, I have to be generous. You, I have to have humility. You, I have to be grateful. Um, But there are promises within. God knows what you need. He knows what brings you life. And the instructions are there. They're not always easy to follow, but we have the power. He has given us the power to control our mind, to choose gratitude, to choose humility, to choose generosity. And those things in turn bring life to us. I want to say thanks to Jeff for allowing me to do this. This is, this is a thing that's been on my, light, uh, on my heart for a long time. Um, things that you know <laughs> in your mind that you're just not able to get out and you don't get the opportunity to share them with other people. And in addition to that, you might carry a little shame inside because you yourself are not necessarily living in the fruit of what you believe. Um, But I just want to thank you for the opportunity to share this. Um, And uh, thank you all for joining us today. If you didn't catch uh, the last two weeks on humility and uh, generosity, I encourage you to, to catch those as well. And I encourage you to take control of your thoughts. God has given you the ability to do that way before science knew you could. There has always been that. Be grateful, be thankful, because what it does is it changes your thought life and it brings joy and happiness to your life. All right. Mama Nina?